Well, we return to our Malachi series today, heading to Malachi chapter 2. So have those Bibles open in front of you. As a way of reminder, God has a specific message for his people, one that is delivered by Malachi the prophet, and his name means my messenger. After this message in Malachi, we have no recording of God speaking to his people. In fact, the next time God shows up is in the person of Jesus Christ in the gospel accounts. There is a 400 year gap between Malachi and the Gospels. So whatever God has to say, Malachi is clearly monumental in nature. Today, as we head to chapter two, God has a word for both the leaders of the people, that being the priests, and the people themselves. And the main issue that's being addressed is that of apathy, which in turn turns to evil toward God and alienation from his blessing. As we kind of work through the chapter today, I hope to show you the danger of apathy and how it still plagues the church today. And the solution is still always going to be the same, belief and implementation of sound doctrine. In other words, we must be an obedient people rather than a liberal and apathetic people. We're going to see how God's word is our foundation of a positive, encouraging, obedient church and leadership. So we're going to jump straight into the passage and as a pre-warning as we go there, God doesn't mince his words in Malachi 2 and it's certainly not for the faint-hearted. But even in these harsh and severe words, we will still see the mercy of God. So let's head to chapter 2 and from verse 1. And now, O priests, this command is for you. God specifically addresses the priests. Uh, These were men who were anointed or set apart for temple ministry. They were set apart meaning they were holy, devoting their entire lives to the most sacred acts and sacred duties laid out before them by God. The priests were responsible for the sacrificial system, ensuring that the people honoured God's word and obeyed God's word and that their offerings were acceptable to God. And what we've learned already in chapter one is that they've neglected this calling. They look only to their own interests. They accepted mediocre offerings in the uh, uh, insurance that they would be well fed rather than the Lord's table getting the best. Clearly, not only has God witnessed their willingness to accept and present mediocre offerings, but now God has a specific word. And I want you to note here that the specific word he uses here is a command for the priests themselves. So God isn't just passing the time of day or giving his thoughts. He is giving a direct command to the priest, one which he expects to be obeyed. Verse 2. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honour to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Now, before going to the specific command, God gives, and I think quite a clear, quite a harsh warning. If the priests refuse to hear, the Lord will curse them and curse their offerings. However, it's more than just not listening. It's not accepting the Lord's command. It's it's rejecting the honour of God's name and rejecting the honour that he deserves. You see, we're not just to be, excuse me, we're not just to be hearers of the word. We're to be doers of the word. And so if the priests dare ignore the words of God and are disobedient toward God, then God will curse them and curse their offerings. 
Yet sadly, God has already seen their heart. He already knows what they're going to do and what is in their desiring, in their hope for themselves. And he sees that they do not care about the honour of God's name. And so God has already cursed the priests. The judgment of God, though, goes further than just a, a verbal curse. He will reject an entire nation. He's going to reject the next generation, for they have already been polluted with their sinful example of the priests. And this pollution is described as dung. Now, rather than hide their shame, God is going to take the dung, take their polluted offerings and their mediocre sacrifices, and he is going to spread it across the priests' faces. Now, God does this for two reasons. Firstly, he is going to show the shame of the priest's sin. Everybody is going to see them for who they are, individuals who no longer care about honouring the Lord's name. Second, the dung was taken out of the city and it was removed from the city. And so they too, as priests now covered in dung, would be removed and no longer have the opportunity to blaspheme against God. The priests had sinned against God. And now God was bringing his judgment. And as you can see, he doesn't mince his words. This is a direct warning. Because your heart is not turned to me, you will have your shame on show and you will be removed from my presence. The next generation will be rejected and I will no longer accept the offerings that you present. Verse 4. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave him it to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. Now here is the, the word of God, that covenant made with Levi, that is that the priestly nation, the, the priestly nation of the Levites, must stand and must be honoured. Now to understand this, we need to head back to Exodus chapter 32 to find out why this covenant was put in place. Exodus 32 from verse 5. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered round him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbour. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and that day about three thousand men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one, of, one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. What a horrible moment. We see the people of God sinning by worshipping an idol, and the Lord has to enact out judgment. But notice, when Moses calls the men of God to stand with him, those that would stand true to the words of God, those that would honour God, notice who comes. The Levites the nation, the tribe of Levi. They were ordained by God to rid the nation of idol worship and those who would lead them astray. And upon obedience of this command, the Lord then places the Levites into service, a life and death service, that they would give their life for the sake of the Lord. For they were to lead people to remain holy and true to the word of God. The Lord would establish in Leviticus a sacrificial system, one that the Levites would watch over, with the priests coming specifically from the people of Levi. 
So in this covenant, God was giving the people a way to have peace with God and a way to be guided by his words. The priests would teach God's words and they would encourage obedience to the creator God. The priest would essentially be an example of what it means to have holy living and to be godly in your approach and then subsequent blessing that would come from such a life. It is this covenant that the Lord now commands the priests to honour in Malachi 2, to once again be holy leaders of the nations, to be the men of God leading the people into obedience, leading the people into blessing and leading them away from sinful idol worship. And so clearly God wants them to stand once more upon this covenant that he has made with them. Verse 7. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. You see, the, the priests were to not only know the word of God themselves and therefore obey it themselves, but they were to guard it. Now, guarding has the connotation of putting something under lock and key and protecting it. I don't think that's what the case is here. To guard the word of God is to keep the word of God. And so the priests were responsible, yes, for themselves, but for the entire nation and therefore responsible to guiding the people to be honouring or guarding the word of God. The people in understanding this would then go to the priest to learn what is right and what is wrong. They would inquire unto the priest and the priest being the messenger of the Lord would teach them the scriptures and teach them what the Lord would want. A faithful priest would lead the people of God to be faithful to God. And if you will, you could say the priest was a middleman. He was the example, the ambassador, the teacher who consistently pointed back to the ways of God. Now, this is not too dissimilar to a church leader in current days or a, a preacher or a pastor. In 2 Timothy at 2.15, we read, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. As a church leader, I am to be an example of Jesus. I'm to study the word of God. I'm to handle it correctly. I'm to teach people the word of God and I'm to lead them to do what is right in the eyes of our Lord and Savior. Now we're not middlemen of salvation for all have free access to Jesus for salvation, but rather as church leaders, we are examples of godly living, of gospel living. We're individuals that the church can look to to understand what godly living looks like. And it's all for the glory of God that we therefore guard his word. The priests and church leaders today have the same responsibility, that same covenant to guard God's word, to live it out and to guide people towards what it means to live a life for God. Verse eight, but you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. So we have the covenant of Levi, we have the clear call of God to stand firm, honour that command, guard the word of God. But here in the time of Malachi, the priests have entirely ignored the covenant. They no longer live lives of obedience and so many of them have, have taken people away, have led them astray. As, a, as a, the church, as the people of God view this corruption, they follow the leaders and so many have been led astray. The covenant has been corrupted for the priests were not examples of God, they were examples of sin. And sadly, because they're in that position of authority, many view this behaviour as right and therefore were led into sin themselves. 
And notice the language of God here in these verses. The priests were to be despised for this type of behaviour. The Lord is no longer going to bless them. The Lord is no longer going to listen to them, for they have treated the Most High God with contempt. The thing is, though, we also see a similar situation in the early church. Consider 2 Peter chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false prophets and false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. We may not phrase it as priests leading people astray, but the situation is the same. False prophets living and preaching a false doctrine, leading people away from truth and into sin. The Lord despised that behaviour in the Old Testament. He despised that behaviour in the New Testament and he continues to to despise that behaviour in the church today. So we have the priests entirely ignoring the covenant, blaspheming against God and God wearied by their continual sin and he will no longer bless them. So we have an unfaithful priesthood that the Lord despises. But what about the people of God themselves? For that we need to go to verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? It is true that as Christians, as as believers in, in God and in Christ, our Heavenly Father unites us as his people. But this is not what Malachi is referring to here. The reference is to the forefather of the nation, that being Abraham, whom God made the first covenant with God's people and brought about that entire nation, which now is represented in Malachi as the people of Judah. And this people, therefore, could be described as brothers and sisters, or in other words, a family or a nation. So they're a family together, yet they don't act like a family. They're faithless to one another. They no longer seek brotherly and sisterly affection. They no longer care for one another. Essentially, the family has just been ripped apart. You see, we often think the attacks to the people of God come from outside, from those that are not the people of God, from those that are outside of the family of God. However, I think the worst attacks come from within the family. From the people who are to lovingly care for one another comes evil acts. Not only does it show the the desperate situation that is within the people of God, but how disastrous their relationship is with God. Because if they are willing to behave like that to one another, then you must question and call into question their faith and their relationship with their Heavenly Father. But the thing is, it shouldn't surprise us, for they've been led astray by a blasphemous example of the priests. The importance of brotherly affection has ceased in the people of God here because they have seen it stop and be twisted and corrupted by the priests. Yet the importance of brotherly affection has never truly ceased in terms of what God desires and wants. In 2 Peter 1, we are commanded to grow in godliness and in brotherly affection. In some senses, brotherly affection is a signal to our heart, loving God and loving others. If you don't love God, you're probably not going to love others. And if you don't love others, you have to call into question how much you indeed love God. Verse 11. Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. 
If the people would behave in this way, lacking brotherly love and care for one another, then it's not much of a leap and a jump to get to the point where the people would behave in this way towards the law of the Lord. If they don't love one another, then it's unlikely they're gonna love God and love his word. They went against his direct command to not marry out with of the people of God. Deuteronomy 7.3, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. They were not to marry outside of the people of God. But instead here, Malachi, they married those who served foreign gods, foreign idols and man-made items. You see, when the family of God no longer loves one another and no longer loves the Lord, they will seek that love from elsewhere. And in this case, they sought it by marrying people outside of the people of God. This is a disobedient behaviour toward the Lord. And God has seen it. Verse 12. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and with groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favour from your hand. The Lord is bringing his judgment to such a faithless generation. He will cut them off. He will no longer accept their offerings and no longer bless them as his people. Now they may cry, they may mourn, they may complain, but the Lord will not be moved on this matter. He won't be mocked. The people have been cursed for they no longer love and serve the Lord. They only love and serve themselves. And so therefore they don't deserve the blessing that God can give. Do you know, we live in a world that doesn't believe in consequences anymore. We believe we can do what we please, nobody will get hurt. Worse, we believe we have the right to do what we please without consequence. That is not true in God's economy. Every action has a consequence. It will either lead to the blessing of God or you will be cut away from the blessing of God. And here in Malachi, we've already seen the police have been cut away from that blessing. Now what we're being told is the people of God themselves will also be cut away from that blessing. Verse 14, but you say, why does he not? Because the Lord has witnessed between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Seemingly oblivious, the people cry out to God, why are you no longer accepting our sacrifice? Why have you taken our blessing away from us? Well, the Lord is not slow in replying, is he? And the answer is pretty simple, because of your sin. You have married outside of the people of God. You have committed adultery. You have not honored the commands of God and you're a faithless generation. So God sought the people to live godly lives, to have godly marriages, to raise godly children. But the nation of Judah has ignored this entirely. They lived for themselves and so God gave them over to their sinful passions and removed them from blessing and stopped accepting their sacrifices. Verse 16. <clears throat> for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Here is the situation laid bare. The people were marrying, committing adultery, divorcing without concern and without remorse. They would then take their offerings and sacrifices to God and assume that they would be acceptable. However, you can't hide from God. He sees, sees and hears all things. 
He sees this faithlessness. He sees the sin of the people and he calls them out for their sin. Yet notice at the same time we're seeing the mercy of God. He's still showing the right way to live, still giving the people an option to be faithful. Guard yourself with the Spirit. Guard yourself with the Word of God. Don't live like this. Live like the the godly commands I have given you. If you live like that, I can accept your offerings and I can give you blessing. He's showing the people mercy. But they're so wrapped up in their own sin that they just don't see it. Verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? This is what this entire chapter boils down to. The people congratulate themselves as good, yet they behave as evil people. They do not fear the Lord. They do not care for consequences. And the Lord is wearied by their flagrant attitude towards sin. God is patient, but he's not going to be mocked by the people. The mercy of God will be given to those who see error of their ways and return to the Lord. However, if they refuse to return to the Lord, they will face the full judgment of God. We have a faithless people. We have a disobedient priesthood. What we're seeing here is the entire family of God crumbling under sin, no longer recognising that wonderful blessing that is atonement, redemption, forgiveness, love, grace, mercy from the Most High God. Now as we draw to a conclusion, I think it's really important to take a a tough chapter like this and apply it to our own lives. And I'm going to apply it in two ways. Firstly, for the church leaders and secondly, for the church themselves. So firstly, for church leaders, do you see that the Lord has a high standard of leadership? Leaders are ambassadors for the gospel, examples of gospel transformation, teachers of the truth, shepherds of the people of God. And just with the, as with the priests in Malachi, the Lord calls the leaders of the church to be holy. I want to read out at 1 Timothy 3, several verses here, but I want to read out to show you that the Lord has not changed his standards of church leadership. 1 Timothy 3 from verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children his uh, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Through the grace of God, leaders are to live a holy life. Too often leaders fear man rather than God and therefore are swayed by popular opinion. I had it recently said to me that it's brave to preach the word of God as, as it's written and as it's commanded. I think it's braver to go against God to be like the priests of Malachi 2 and to face the judgment of God because you have done what is not good in the eyes of the Lord. It's far braver to go toe-to-toe with God than to be obedient with God. We need leaders to stand on God's word. We need leaders who will not selfishly lead the people of God. We need leaders who will be faithful to the call of the Lord. We need leaders to stand up when the world tells them to stand down. 
We need leaders who will be rock solid in their own obedience to God's word and rock solid in their teaching of sound doctrine. If the church leadership is pointing to God, then the people of God will follow. If the church leadership points to the world, then the people of God will follow there too. Therefore, it's of utmost importance that leaders understand they are, their roles are ambassadors to the gospel. And we need to wake up to this because if we don't, many are going to fall away and the leaders will face double judgment for their part that they play in this. Judgment upon their own sin and disobedience and judgment because they have led people astray. So leaders, I would encourage you, be men of God, be women of God, be people of the word, stand true to sound doctrine because the Lord has commanded you to do so. Secondly, I want to apply this to the church. The people of God and the church are to be called to be faithful. Specifically, they are to be obedient to God, showing affection within the household of faith. There's a, a great way to achieve this. Psalm 119 verse 11. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need to hold God's word up to everything we do. We need to compare it. Is this way of living what God's word tells me to do? Is this way of reacting to the situation what God's word tells me to do? Is this way of loving or, or, or behaving towards this person the way God's word tells me to do? The people in Malachi 2 had grown ignorant to the word of God and arrogant, believing they didn't need it. So let me say this, if you're not picking up your Bible daily, then you're in grave danger of becoming like the people of Malachi 2. Sure, I know some of you are going to say, this sounds like a guilt trip to read my Bible every day. Absolutely not. You have the privilege of God's word every day. He has given you what is right, what is wrong. He has shown you the way. He has given you sound doctrine, great theology. He's shown you his character. You now have the privilege of reading it every day, learning more about God, being sanctified by that truth and living as the holy people of God. So it's not a guilt trip. It's a, a blessing. It's a privilege to open God's word and be the people of God. And so Malachi 2 is really a wake-up call to both the church leadership and the church themselves. God expects his children to be obedient and he expects them to honour him in their speech, in their actions and in their thoughts. God expects his children to be his children. He expects them to do what he's told them to do, to avoid what he's told them to avoid and to bring glory to the Heavenly Father and glory to the Kingdom of God. That is clear and simple. The question just boils down to whether we're going to bother being obedient, whether we're going to bother taking it to heart and standing on the covenants of God, knowing that the power and strength of Jesus Christ is given to us for all those who seek it. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word. We do understand how difficult this is to read in Malachi 2, but we praise you that through your power and strength that's given through Jesus, that's given through the Holy Spirit, that we would be able to be people of God, that we would be able to be obedient, showing affection to one another, living that holy life that you command us to. Father, we pray that church leaders will stand strong on your word and be that great ambassador and example of the gospel. We pray for the church that they would be ambassadors and examples of the gospel and that you would be well pleased with your people. Father, we pray that in all the aspects of our life that we would be acceptable to you, that we would honour you, that we would bring you glory. And Father, if there is sin in us, if we are leading others astray, Father, stop it. Stop, it in our, stop us in our tracks and rid us of that sin. Protect us and, and 
and help us guard the word of God so that we might not sin against you. And so, Father, until the next time, we pray that you would bless us, keep us and help us guard the word of God in our lives. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen.